Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, while I have you here... Please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. Hey, this is Adam from Toronto, and I support Creative Control because Vish is full stop one of the best arts interviewers in Canada, or anywhere in the world, really. He approaches every episode like he's known the artist for years, creating a conversational atmosphere that gets straight to the heart of the work. No one else in podcasting gets it quite right like he does, with a mixture of meticulous research, wise artistic insights, and well-humored personal connections. I proudly support Vish and Creative Control on Patreon. You should, too. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creativecontrol today. Mike Halichuk and Josh Zucker are both musicians from and currently based in Toronto, Ontario. Over the past 20 years, they have worked together in the impressively prolific and ambitious punk rock band Fucked Up and on other community-minded initiatives like the Long Winter Art, Music, and Subcultural Festival in Toronto. In 2011, Matador Records released David Comes to Life, a remarkable 18-song rock opera by Fucked Up, which was complemented by a number of singles and a compilation of fictional bands called David's Town, which featured a number of special guests. To mark the 10th anniversary of David Comes to Life, Matador is reissuing the album on light bulb yellow vinyl, which is available for pre-order beginning December 10th, 2021. The band plans to tour behind it early in the new year, and then on March 22nd, 2022, Matador issues Do All Words Can Do, which compiles the aforementioned singles and furthers the narrative found on David Comes to Life. 
To mark all of these events, Mike, Josh, and myself got together on a Friday night to have an hour-long chat about some of these things, but then decided that we didn't really like it, so we got together again the following Friday night, did the whole thing over, and talked about various aspects of the writing, making, and release of David Comes to Life. Love and heartbreak, hope and dread, existential angst, world-building and higher powers, lawsuits and pranks, critics and fans, future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners just like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it, and make flexible monthly donations to sustain the show at patreon.com slash Control with additional support from Blackbird Music, a wonderful record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, and friendly staff who will help you with anything you need, really, when it comes to music and records. Learn more about them at blackbird.ca. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is the 654th episode of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Mike Halichuk and Josh Zucker of Fucked Up, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Josh, how you doing there? I'm good, Havish. It's nice to see you again. It feels like I just saw you the other day, but it's nice to see you again. Uh, where in the world are you? Uh, I'm in Toronto. That's great. Nice to see you there, Josh. And, and Mike, are you there? Yeah. Nice. Nice to see you, Mike. Where in the world are you? Oh, it's just down the street from Josh. Are you guys both on the same street? I think we did this bit to start the last time off. Yeah, I think we did. The last time we spoke, we figured this out. It's nice to see you both, and uh, uh, it's it's lovely to see you both. Now, uh, congratulations. It's the anniversary of uh, David Comes to Life, uh, which is exciting. Uh uh, Mike, why is this significant? Why are we celebrating uh, a milestone like this one for this particular record? What would you want to say about that? Well, we like to make an event and, you know, we'll do a celebration at any opportunity and 10 years seem like the exact right one. And we're only like one year late, so. <laughs> that's You are, it's not, is it, is that, yeah. that's right, it's not, it's not exactly 10 years. Is it the 11th anniversary? Well, I believe that it's the 11th anniversary is coming up on this, this June. So we're going to get this 10th anniversary tour out of the way and immediately go on the, the 11th year anniversary well, that's, tour. That's kind of like how they just did the 2020 euros last summer in 2021. Yeah, it is confusing. Everything's 2020, even though it's 2021. I've noticed that as well. Uh, For Josh, people just... listening to this podcast in the future, there was aliens that came to earth and stopped time for two years. <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, people listening to this in like a thousand years, not people. A thousand like, years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's a, that is inadvertent high praise for this show that it would still be relevant a thousand years from now. That's kind of you, Mike. I appreciate that. Don't you think that when like our future like civilizations will be able to look, just consume all of the data we produced in some way, like almost instantaneously, they'll be so advanced. Yeah, it's gonna be like um, it's gonna be like in the Matrix when Trinity's like, "How do I fly yeah. a helicopter?" Except like future humankind will be like, "What was music like at the start of the twenty first century?" And they'll just like fast yeah. forward through all of your podcasts, Vish, and they'll be like, "Oh, okay, that's what it was like." 
I think people are already, you know you're having, they're already doing that with you know my you're podcast. Having dinner? But... You know when you're having dinner and you have that one friend who, if, if like a question comes up in conversation, they just go on Google on their phone. Oh, and yeah. They, they dip back into the conversation. Like every single person is going to be like that, except with all of knowledge. Yeah. Like two people will have a conversation and then instantaneously, like there will just be no questions about anything or no schools. You know? Well, my wife was lamenting the other day about how kids don't know how to to write, you know, print with a pen. Yeah. And I was like, I can't do that. I know. And I was like, she's a teacher, right? No, no, no. She's not a teacher, but oh. she was just, uh, but she's in the educational realm, right. so to speak. That's a very like education or educator type of thing to lament. Well, what oh, do you think, Josh? Yeah, no the one kids can do can't write. Do you think it's a factor though? Like the only time I write is when I have to write someone a check. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like this is, is it a factor in what? I don't know. In life, like, do we have to write? I, 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 my, the thing is like, my kid will just talk to his iPod, Siri, which it's an Apple. I should say it's an Apple product. And he'll say, everyone knows what Siri is. Well, some people don't. I'm just trying to catch the folks up. at. Oh, like in the future. you mean? In the future. This is from a thousand years. Like they won't know who Siri was. They'll think it's some Greek God. Anyway. No, we just, we just decided that they'll know everything. Oh, that's true. They'll figure that part out too. But yeah, no, he's, they don't write anything. They're not even texting they just he talks to the things all his machines so i feel like there is something to it it's not necessarily writing but it's typing even like i feel like it's all going to be gone and maybe that's okay that's what uh, I'm you remember when you used to go to the bank to try to like get a check and you'd have to do long division like right there on the counter yeah. to get your money yeah you don't have to do that anymore no and it's i'm benefiting frankly people don't think about this kind of stuff no it's true that's why we, they have us anyway i appreciate that uh you know, it's an anniversary edition. Josh, does this record stick out for you as significant for Fucked Up? David Comes to Life is what we were trying to talk about there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it it sticks out. I mean, very self-consciously, it's like our most listened to record. And uh, we a lot of the songs that we play from it are like songs that people people really like. And it was, I think, just a big record for us in terms of like the arc of our career. So... Yes, big one. Now, I uh, was digging through the lyrics. I was reading all the song lyrics in order, and it uh, is a, quite a narrative. And I, But I, before we get to that, I'm looking at the cover here. I'm showing it to you. You've seen this before, I take it. It's your record. Uh, the cover of David Comes to Life, for those who can't see right now, two light bulbs. Uh, and the setting, uh, initially anyway, is a light bulb factory. Before we get into the actual uh, cover, Mike, what is, what is the significance of the light bulb? Why, why is the light bulb a well, primary image here? They make a heart when you put them together. I see that on the cover. Yes, the light bulbs. Yeah, a lot of we realized recently that a lot of people didn't know, like, didn't see that really. Well, I always yeah. thought it was like, very. People have tattoos. Of I always thought that was very heavy-handed. The fact apparently, that it was a heart. It wasn't heavy, a heart? It, apparently, it wasn't heavy-handed yeah. enough. Well, I guess maybe people weren't. I wonder. That's you're right. It's quite obvious. I've missed this myself. I never thought it was a heart. I thought it was two light bulbs, but they also are going in divergent directions, as some of the characters do as well. So I think I was kind of thinking of it that way. But what is the significance of that, Mike? Why is why do these two light bulbs form a, so, a heart? Bef- or, sorry, Josh. Talk, it's a love story. You know what, before we talk about that, though, remember how that this wasn't actually the original cover? Yeah, that's true. So if you... This v- is a deep cut v- I don't know if you have the record with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm so showing it to, I'm showing it to people old. now. The cover of the album. Yeah, the people are looking well, at it. Well, the people in the call are, but the people listening at home or in their cars or on their jogs. So you so you open it. up David Comes to Life, the like the vinyl, and you, the cover is like a card piece of cardboard that comes out 
And then the actual LP jacket is this photo with like, I don't know, 20 people in it. Yeah. Including all the members of the band. And Josh's family. And that photo was taken during the uh, video shoot for Turn the Season, um, which is song four on the record. I think they recreated it to make the video. Is that your sister, Josh? Is yeah, my sister's there, yeah. my mom's there, and my dad is there. And then there, and, uh, there's the gatefold. No, that was definitely the video shoot because, like, all those people are there. Where was this? Uh, where was this all happening? What was the venue for the video shoot? It was a it was a dance studio in Toronto where we shot this video. The video is cool. It's like one shot. Like, what's that movie, Birdman? Oh yeah, yeah. The the one track. So it's yeah. a the the video is a single shot. Um, and so we sent this photo, which is kind of dark, lots of people, hard to really hard to tell what the hell's going on. Self-referential. Yeah, it's got like all of these Easter eggs and stuff in it. So we sent that to Matador and they're like, guys, we love the concept. It's beautiful. <laughs> uh, but this is not going to play on iTunes. Like this is not going to work as a little, you know, 100 by 100 pixel iTunes graphic. Which is kind of the era of music. They said this in 2011 at the, to you. at the time, huh? Yep. iTunes was already I remember dictating stuff. That's bad. They came to Toronto in the winter and took us to like an extremely fancy dinner, all six of us in Toronto, and then we ate for like two hours. And then I remember, like at the dessert course, one of the matter guys like pulled out these massive printouts of that photo he had, and. He, they had done this huge fancy dinner for us to soften the blow and say, this cover is a no-go. Oh. Well, that's... They filled us full of shrimp. What do we... <laughs> yeah. It was a, we went to Splendido, which is an Italian restaurant on Harvard. That's, uh, um, that's nefarious but tasty. That sounds like it was pleasant, at least. That's a pleasant way to find out. You can't do what you want. I think me and Damien were pissed, but I can't, I really can't remember. Well, okay, so I want to. There's lots of stuff going on in terms of the content and the imagery, but again, the, the heart. Let's go. So this cardboard thing that Josh was alluding to that isn't really the cover. On the back of it, there's like a poem. It's like a letter to the listener, but on the front is this heart. So what is the significance, Mike, of the heart? This is a. It's significant to the story. It means love. So that it that's generally what romance. it means. The heart, the heart was like a backup. Like this yeah. was something that we had to cut. So when we created this cover, we had you know. You can't tell somebody you can't do this cover because of iTunes, make something else, <laughs> and then not have to think about iTunes the whole time as you're creating the new cover. So it was very present that like, oh. okay, I guess we need to make something that's going to, you know, pop <laughs> like 100 by 100 pixels. So Okay, so that's why the light bulbs yeah. are so prominent. It's a big striking image. Okay, I get that part. But the light bulb uh, in contemporary culture can mean different things. Obviously, it's illumination, but it can also mean ideas. That's a thing. I, we, we had a conversation about this not too long ago, and I suggested that the light bulb reminded me of like ideas above people's heads. And uh, I don't know. I don't remember. Mike, is that, is that like a valid sort of point to, to raise about light bulbs? Uh, yeah, I believe when you raised it last time, the <laughs> light bulb may have appeared above your own head while you're having that idea. But my own head, but yeah. but but there's lots of ideas, so to speak, on this record. Like there's, it begins well, with sort of, well, you know what I'm... Speak, speaking of a self-referential idea. <laughs> well, I will say that we had, we re-released a live 12-inch in 2004 entitled Let Likes Cure, Be Cured by Likes. And on the inner sleeve of that record is a light bulb 
with a humunculus baby inside of it, which has a fucked up logo at the very bottom of it. So, you know, we were fucking with light bulbs back in the dark ages of 2004. Dark ages. You see, Damn, that's you so it's a mostly a reference to that record because oh. we were like, we're the band that already had a light bulb on our record. And now this is our second one. So there's two light bulbs. But the action of the album begins uh, in front of a light bulb factory, and there are some, let's call them socialists, pro-union people trying to get the workers to recognize something. What are they trying to get them to do, Mike? What would you say? I think uh, it was like very general action. I don't really remember the lyrics, but the, yeah, the first song, I think Veronica is like maybe handing out flyers Yeah, so as pam- workers. Yeah. Yeah, to be like, you know, go on strike or whatever. And yeah, David, I I guess that's how David and her meet. He gets a flyer and their hands connect and that's their that's their meet cute and all this stuff cuz David uh of course works at the light bulb factory. He's trudging to work in in the AM. Yeah. Right. So they, this is their fir- Josh, that's their first meeting, right? That's where David and Veronica meet, is that right? As the story goes, yeah. As the story goes. Now, this is based a little bit... He's not here with us, I don't believe, unless he's lurking. Some of this is based on Damien's relationship uh, with his now wife. Is that right? Like, when he when they first met? Is any of that true? I don't think so. Maybe, I mean... <laughs> no? Have you read that somewhere? I did read that they somewhere. Met, yeah, I read that. that I, I didn't know... I think Damien and Lauren probably, like, met at a show or something. They certainly didn't work to meet at Damien's... Oh, oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I don't I don't mean the circumstances are specific, but I read something recently that suggested that Damien was basing uh, some of the action of these characters on his own relationship and the courtship that he and his w- now wife, Lauren, had. Is this news to you? Is this, am I ma- is this false? Well, Damien's... I, out- no, I... I, uh, I yeah, I can definitely see that. Like, just based some of the... Um, some of the lyrics and some of the early song, like the first few songs on the record that are about them meeting and their their courtship and then like yeah their shoe that's definitely i think a lot of a lot of damien's i don't know anxieties come through in some of those songs i was wondering about whose anxieties there were because there's a lot of like polarity on the record i feel a lot of oppositional forces mike and i thought do you have any take on that like i was thinking of the song ship of fools and there's a lot of like it's one thing or it's this opposite thing. Like a lot of like oppositional pondering. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. Like by that song, I think that's like track 13 or 14. By that song, the, the record, yeah. that's what the record is about. It's about a bunch of different, looking at the, looking at one instance with a bunch of different perspectives. But I will say the weird thing about the record is definitely like, you know, the other shoe is about looking at a good situation you find yourself in with a very, with a lot of anxiety, right? Like, being involved in something that's so good that you immediately start worrying that it's all going to come crashing down. And like, that's track three. So it's like, this is our big romantic record. And by already by track three, we're kind of like, this is not going well. You know what I mean? And I think that's something me and Damien both kind of share. But, uh, when I, at least when I'm writing lyrics and especially on this record, I was trying to be extremely buoyant and, present like a very hopeful outcome not like in opposition to Damien but just that's I wanted to be like this is the record about something terrible happening and what happens afterwards and how to how to become happy again so yeah Yeah, but it's it's I think that like Josh is this is this some aspect of the band that we should be concerned about 
that even when things are good, <laughs> everyone assumes it's going to go bad. The other shoe will drop, so to speak. You know, there's an expression that I think of when I'm listening to this record. And I, 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 for some reason, I, I feel like I'm going to fumble it. But uh, what is it? It's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. And I think it's actually maybe even alluded to at one point. But there's there's an aspect, Josh. Did you make that up? That like, line? That's a good line. Yeah, I did. That's I, a great I, line. I, my, well, it's side work I do for the Hallmark yeah. card company. I write little things for them. But, Josh, this notion of uh, th- th- this record, it feels like sometimes to me, is that true? Maybe you're better off not trying. <laughs> Because things are going to go wrong. I mean, that's some some aspect of the sentiment within all the hope and buoyancy that Mike's talking about. I feel there's just like gloom and you know uh, dread. Dread is the word I'm thinking of. Does that do you relate to what I'm saying there, Dread? Yeah, I, I I think that like you know probably describes some of our outlook. It's it's kind of just like you know our condition. It's like you can't really get away from that. But then you quickly realize that like approaching everything with dread is a pretty hopeless way of living your life. So that feeling on its own doesn't last for too long. I wouldn't really think, I don't think about it though as like an allegory for the band dynamic or anything like that. I think it's more like, yeah, probably a few of us definitely just like, that's just the way that we approach life. We're kind of, we're kind of, I don't know, a little bit, a little bit dark, a little bit, a little bit pessimistic. Mike, is that fair? I will say for like this record sort of trying to be like a meta commentary on something that exact outlook is something that affected our band right after the release of this record. So I remember these, these years where we were sort of reaching our apex as a band after this album came out were for me. And I like filled with so much anxiety of being like, Oh, we're definitely just going to break up now because we were, especially Damien, experiencing like a level of success that was becoming hard to sustain with him. He sort of was starting a family around this point too. So I remember like for the next three years after this record coming out, just being like, fuck, like we're going to definitely break up. And also I remember, I can remember the day like we were recording in New York and he had come to New York to do some vocals on the record. And he had, that's when he had just gotten a job at the wedge. And so he was like, we're putting out this awesome record. I have, I have a a young child coming and I just got a job hosting a a weekly TV show in Toronto. So I was just like, he was riddled with anxiety to be like, I don't know if I can make a band work in this, these circumstances that I have as a, as an adult. And I was kind of like, I think the band is going to break up in this, in the wake of this success that we're finally having. So wait a minute, just to clarify this, Mike, you're saying all of these circumstances occurred once David comes to life had been released. Well, he got the wedge job while we were recording it. Oh, and then I see. We released the record and we, it was for our standards. It was a high, it was a successful record. And its success, you know, tracks one and two were quickly met with track three, starting to worry about what that was going to do to our lives, which, you know, a lot of our interviews at that point were like, you know, it's fucked up breaking up. This fucked up only argue with each other. Yeah. You know, that went on for a long time. Did I ask those questions back then? I don't think I did. Well, just like, you know, that was exclaims thing for like, yeah, that seemed, that seemed to be their thing. I remember that. Sam, our, our friend Sam would write stories about you. Yeah, it always seemed like that was the hook. 
This band is so great, yeah. but they're on the precipice of breaking up all the time. That's right. I remember. Yeah. That. That's yeah. like our the other shoe is like our whole thing. Do you guys remember? Uh, I remember when I worked at CBC Radio Three, and you all came to the studio together. Josh, do you remember this? You came into that little. Record. I do remember. I don't remember us all being there. I think you were. were we I was surprised there? you all came, but it felt like you all went to everything. At least when I was involved, like the first time we met, we had breakfast for a thing I was recording. Everyone was there. At I believe it was aunties and uncles, and then we did it again. Most bands, most bands don't do that. No, it'd be they send a couple of emissaries, you know, particularly when they've got a couple of songwriting producer types in the band. They're just like, oh, you go. I'll I'll say everything. But it was not, bands it was, really pile in for the free food. Uh, <laughs> Well, this was just a free. I'm I, when I think of the being in the building, I think it was just like can, I always thought. My perspective fucked up was like, can you believe these people want to talk to us? Can you believe we're going to be on the CBC? Like, I don't think you thought it was like that. Re- you weren't reverential, but I think you were like, can you believe we keep getting away with this? <laughs> not at that point. No, not yet. Okay, I'm just curious. No, anyway. no. By then we were, you know, it was just an, it was just another thing to do. But um, yeah. Anyway. There's always at least probably pretzels at CBC. Uh, yeah, but there are maybe everyone, some drinks. You, you don't know whose hands were in there. Probably someone bad. Uh, I I couldn't believe that you were letting us that you were bringing us on to to do your show that aired between two and five a.m. Uh, <laughs> across northern Canada. That, that was that, that was incredible. I never had a show like that. It was always nine a.m. to noon. What was your show? the The show I had on CBC. Yeah, it was in the mornings. It was like a morning show. I think. I think our time or Ontario time it was maybe I want to say it was maybe six to nine a.m. But I might be wrong. I remember we played a we went to CIUT once to play to play a live set on a morning show. Oh yeah, to get there like seven a.m. and just being like, who the fuck wants to listen to this? At listen to our band like this in like two thousand and four when we were still sounded like chaotic. Who wants to listen to that as they're going to work? I think uh, lots of people would. I would. Just to, I mean, if you're tuned into CIUT, which is like a com- campus community station, you're yeah. What are you expecting? It's going to be chaotic. It's fine. I, I don't understand. Anyway, it sounds to me like you were saying, in a weird way, David comes to life was prescient about the band's outlook on itself. Like you didn't realize it maybe at the time that whole other shoe is going to drop thing. What it wasn't always present. Like but before this, were you guys generally pretty up, Mike? Were you pretty like? Because I, I don't think of Fucked Up as a hopeless band. I think of them as a very hopeful band. Before David Comes to Life, were you pretty like, yeah, things are going to be great? Or were you always a little like, eh, fuck, something bad's going to happen? Well, it's easy to be on the front foot when there's no stakes, right? Yeah. And that's something that a lot of bands can ride that for a lot of years where if you don't need to make a living or if you don't need to like live up to something you've done previously – if there's no stakes for you to live up to, you can just, you're sort of like a freewheeling artist in the wind and there's no pressure. Yeah. And coming out of this record, this record is, a, I listened to it for the first time in a long time last week. And for like a heartbreak bummer record, it's, the sound of it is like very propulsive, very like, you know, on the front foot, I, as I said a minute ago. And the years that followed the success of this record definitely like, contributed to the sound of the next record which is like for our standards of like feeling being extremely upbeat and confident was not a confident record the the following record if i i don't have it in front of me was it glass boys was that the next one glass boys yeah Yeah. okay so and that one but yeah up to that up to this point we just were like we were still the band that just like we wanted to just do funny 
weird things without really having a plan or an objective. We just were getting a bit more popular, a bit more popular. You know what I mean? Like at this point we're like still suing camel cigarettes for fun. We're still (laughs) pulling April fool's jokes on much music live just, you know, for fun. None of it was like this calculated thing. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves on like a legit label selling records and going to meetings and stuff. Josh, Mike just alluded to the April Fool's joke. I believe you were the principal primary culprit in that April Fool's joke, if memory serves. What was the joke again? Do you mind telling us? No, it wasn't. It wasn't wasn't me primarily. It was um, a lot. So we went to South by Southwest in (laughs) March of whatever year it was. And when we came back, Mike wrote this really long blog post about, I think, just like commercialization, like, just the the like rampant consumerism and like commerce kind of going on at South by Southwest and like just heavy advertising and like the selling of culture yeah. and stuff. And it was like, I, I remember it being like a really smart piece kind of reflecting on that experience, like personally, but like, it was like su- real super political. And I think a lot of people were into that. And then, so that was kind of like our mindset. And then a couple weeks later, cause South by Southwest is like mid March. So a couple weeks later, April Fools. So we took the lawsuit that we had actually filed against Campbell Cigarettes mm-hmm. like a few years earlier and we photoshopped it and changed it around so that it was an energy drink company called Thriller Energy right. suing us because for defamation from Mike's article which like it it wasn't it, <laughs> we it inserted, was we retroactively after- inserted a fake company into the South by Southwest poster and the articles that we could <laughs> then use that as like the prime document of why we were getting sued by a fake <laughs> energy drink company. Right. You, we inserted after the fact, after we came up with the idea, we inserted Thriller into the original blog post, right? Right. And by the way, I think this was like maybe before we had a Twitter or something. Like, I don't remember how we published this, but like, I think we, and all, published- yeah, we had, we had we like just a, uploaded the lawsuit, like the the PDF, I think, back onto our blog. Yeah, because we had like a hundred page legal document that we had filed against Rolling Stone and Camel, and we just put the fake name into the lawsuit and put a couple pages on the internet, and <laughs> so many people felt. So then we like, also we also made a uh, we got our friend Mike's roommate at the time, he was like a web designer, to like throw up a th- uh, this website like thrillerenergy.com, which was really <laughs> funny. I wish it still existed. Just for people to go to. Like it had no reference to us or the the case or anything, but it was just like them selling these energy drinks. But I remember you made a fake email address to verify it and we advertised like a, maybe another fake festival that they had organized. <laughs> and it was like Ch- Chillway was really big back then, so it was like this energy drink company sort of revolving around the chill wave community, which is very not in need of energy drinks. Right. That's but, uh, clever. No, that that's, that was a fun time. And you had that the blog was called, uh, do you still have looking for gold.blogspot.com? It's still up, but I haven't, I haven't written on it in like eight years or something. Yeah. I enjoyed that. And the pranks were good. I guess I'm thinking of something on a mixtape. I thought Josh, you were uh, talking to someone and you tricked someone. That's what so, I So Yeah. Yeah. So then, so after we published it that day, there's this media company in Toronto called City Pulse and they they owned Much Music which is like the the national music like Canada's MTV yeah. and they owned City TV which is a, a TV station and uh, so like 
it started to run on CP24, which is, if you're in Toronto, you know what that is. It's like, it's, 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 a 24/7, it's like, a, 24/7, it's like CNN yeah. headline news, yeah. right? Yeah. It's just like a running ticker of news stories and stuff. So yeah. they started to run it there that like <laughs> local band effed up has been sued for uh, defamation <laughs> by Thriller Energy. And then much think music like, was like, even if that was true, like now, can you imagine that being like, who gives a shit? Like, why would any news co- news company cover some random band getting sued by a like, who? You know? well, a, it so much, much music somehow, much music. Like, I guess I don't even remember how things were done at that time. But I think they they must have emailed us and been like, "Hey, they probably emailed our fake manager." And they're like, "Would somebody from the band like to come down?" And so we went down and we did a live hit on Much Music. It was me and Ben. That's right. Because I don't know, like probably Mike. Had, I think Damien was. Like, I was in Chicago. Dame, was Damien was working at on. the Damien was probably working at the wedge or like was lining <laughs> yeah. up that job. So he's so like, he was I can't, employed I can't by this company. <laughs> and Mike, yeah, Mike was away, and so me and me and Ben went, and we just get interviewed. At like, you know, it's like um, what was Carson Daly's show? It was like yeah, it was like it was like Total uh, Request uh, Live, yeah. the after school show. It was, it was like much much music version show. of that. We're, we're like on Total Request Live being interviewed by their VJ. Yeah. By the way, and, on uh, April Fools, like on April first, is all happening. Yeah. So then, and we broke it to them on air. We're like April Fools, like halfway through the interview. And, and I think uh, they just cut. I I remember them Ben just being like in the middle of an like tr- an answer, trying to keep a straight face, and just him being like, "Oh, it's just April Fools," and like sort of made it like a sound. And then they, I think they did like a hard cut. Really. Wow, there's... but also that that soundbite is on one of the mixtapes. Yeah, that's what I heard. I thought that was you, Josh. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. It was me. It was me and Ben. It was me and Ben talking, and then it was Ben who was like, hey, "April Fools." <laughs> and to the, the guy Devin, the VJ was. was pretty was was pretty pissed. He was like, he was embarrassed. But that was the whole you know, day that, that they'd been had. You know that whole network. For those who don't know, they used to be so fun. They would do stuff like that. They would get you know they were punks. And then they got all whatever. And so you guys got to them when they were kind of on their decline. Anyway, that's too bad. It's, it's, it's funny stuff. But I was going to say to Josh, because we just to get back to David for a second, we were showing off the uh, light bulb heart uh, and talking about how this is like a romantic record. But Josh, this is kind of a breakup record, right? It's, a, it's about a relationship going bad. Is it a breakup record? Well, they break up because relationship, of Jeff. Relationship's good. What eventually? What What's the first thing that comes between them? It's like another. Uh, guy. Veronica dies. There's death. Oh, she dies. The death happens. She dies in track five or yeah, something. She dies early. Yeah. They could They could not continue seeing each other after that. And then there's like a court case, and then there's like, it is revealed that yeah. the point of view is not what we thought. It gets all. It gets really weird. But yes, just to answer your question again, Josh, the main thing that comes between the relationship is death. Yeah. 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 That's yeah, right. so it's not it's a heartbreak record maybe is that's maybe breakup is the wrong term but it's a it's a record really about heartbreak. I would say death could also be sad. Death if you really Death think has about been it. known to be sad. It depends on your perspective. Yeah. But yes. Yeah, so it's a, it, it is ostensibly a like Mike you were saying like it, it's it's meant to be a pretty upbeat or or propulsive record but it's actually quite dark and sad. Is that fair? Like I mean the content. Yeah. It, yeah, I mean it's it starts from the perspective of David, who goes. I will say we really fridged Veronica on this record. <laughs> the record would not pass the Bechdel test <laughs> in our in our young 
hubris of making this record mm. but the record starts out from the perspective of david who we feel this heartbreak he's found the love of his life and it feels like before it's even started it's over because she dies by old-timey bomb yeah blowing up in her face and then he spends a couple songs ruminating about his own sadness and then sort of thinking about what his role in all of it is and then of course he finds himself in a court case being tried for her murder because i think what's supposed to happen it's what's intimated in the record is that veronica convinces him to destroy his place of business they're going to bomb the factory and they fashion a bomb in his apartment together and it accidentally blows up and kills her which is i think we took that from like something that actually happened to the web the weathermen in the 60s a notorious american revolutionary terrorist group i think domestic terrorist group yeah they accidentally kept killing themselves or bombing their apartments by making shitty yeah. bombs. But so, yeah. And then it's sort of like we as a band wanted to make a heartfelt record, but not wanting to actually talk about how we felt about our own lives. We sort of masked that yeah. in this like show trial in a, in a rock opera about like, you know, if anyone was like, Hey Mike, how are you feeling about your own breakup that you're going through? I would be like, well, just refer to the lyric that David says <laughs> while he's talking to the the untrustworthy narrator Octavio in this the record that we just put out. Mike, did you did you ever did you ever like refer like a, a significant other to uh, to a song on David Comes to Life and they were asking you how you were feeling? Like while we're having an argument, yeah, yeah, I do constantly, and they never <laughs> seem to appreciate it. This uh, the 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 breakup, the heartbreak stuff, Mike. Uh, again, uh, n- not every lyricist yeah. is here. This was drawn from your own experience a little bit. Uh, yeah, I had, I think, yeah, sort of like I had gone through a, a breakup maybe in 2010 or something that I suppose I was processing in the writing of this album. Right. And do you come away from the, when you finish writing it and you write the, 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 like when you finish writing this record, because there's a point where the, the, the subject David realizes that he's being controlled by a narrator and, and then it yeah. starts to get quasi spiritual or religious almost and i don't know if i'm taking us down a wrong road but there does seem to be some religious imagery or like classic mythology mythological and religious imagery is that fair damien that's sort of damien's trade is he's he's the guy that goes in for the religion stuff okay is that is that is he a a, a person of faith yeah. or no but he sort that's what he he spends a lot of his writing wrestling with that those ideas of I don't know if he was like did church or, or whatever when he was a kid, but he definitely he contends with God on a lot of his songs. Okay, well, because but it, I don't I don't remember any specific spiritual stuff on uh, David. There's points where uh, trying to find when you when you're in a, a place where you're trying to figure out the meaning of life, you know, uh, every yeah. once in a while. Those of us who, who are helpless will look up to the sky <laughs> and look yeah. up into the ether and be like, okay. what is the point? What is the purpose yeah. of all this? And there are a few instances on the record, and forgive me because the, narrative, the narratives kind of get all mixed up as you're traversing David Comes to Life, so I don't sometimes know who's even talking, but there are points where someone seems yeah. to be like, help me, someone. Uh, help me with this. I don't know what to do. You're controlling me. And I yeah. can't help but think of someone who's really at a low point calling to whatever, a higher power, so to speak. You know what I mean? 
Well, that was us putting ourselves in the record. So the, the characters being like mad at us for writing them into such a ridiculous tale. You know what I mean? Like we were trying to say towards the end of the record that like David was actually mad at, at fucked up as sort of his fate for putting him in a song with such a wonderful person and then taking her away almost immediately. Like, yeah, that was sort of a comic book thing that we were trying to, trying to get to like these characters having sort of their own lives independent for us than us, but us controlling them at the same time. Yeah. Josh, uh, but, um, I just want to go to Josh on this. Like, when you ponder these records and the words that uh, that are written in this band, like, do you feel a particular philosophical or, you know, existential sort of crisis a lot? Like, this one feels that way to me. But what about what's your take on it? I don't know. I don't. Really, I don't have like a generalized take on. Um, I don't know. It's just. It's just. It's just people dealing with their feelings. Yeah, but I guess, so there's this, there's... That's Josh trying not to deal with his. <laughs> yeah, I think, I I don't mean to put you on the spot with it. I, I know what you're, what you're saying, but I do think this is a record that is wrestling with purpose and what we do with ourselves every day. Yeah. Um, even as, as workers. So when I when I think of it in that, in those terms, I wonder if you relate, like uh, if it's a, a band conversation even, like what are we doing? Why do we do what we do? Yeah, I think the most like prescient, thing on this record from that perspective is is kind of the meta story where it's like the characters are having these really intense emotional things that they're going through there's like there's love there's death there's like things that that they're passionate about fights that they're having and then there's like this turn in the story when it's like but they're they're characters in a story and they're kind of their lives and their stories are not their own and not of their own making. So in, in that way, there's, there's, I guess maybe like a lot of existential anxiety. Well, there's also atonement or, or notions of atonement, you know, like there's a trial for crying out loud. So it gets into like, what am I doing? And what did I do? Like, I mean, and, and who is controlling me? Someone else must be responsible. Why does it have to be me? <laughs> like, what did you, I think that like, <laughs> As an older person, like thinking about this kind of stuff now, I can sort of see like the way you can think about this record to, and refer it to your own life is sort of like, you know, the shitty things that happen to you in your life, they're not, they're just happening, right? Like they're not happening to you so much. Like when somebody does something shitty that hurts your feelings, it's like that person isn't doing anything to you. It's just something that's happening, right? So all this stuff that happens in the record, it's like, we as a band try to take responsibility for all those events, like very, very obliquely. Yeah. And there's, you know, a lot of the lyrics refer to us as characters almost that say like, you know, we're the band, we're making up this story. Like none of these people, even the bad guy in the record Octavio, we try to give him a redemption by saying like, it's not his fault. It's like we made him do the stuff in the record that he did. Just like we made the bomb go off and we made them fall in love. And sort of, it's like, you know, in your own life, none of this stuff is happening to you. It's just happening. And you, you do, you're not a character. Like you do have the free will to react to those things in any way you want to, to live your life and the way you see fit and to try to change your situation because you, you know, somebody listened to this record, like you have your own, your own volition. You can get out of it, whatever story you're in. Well, and you have characters that are really, yeah, they're they're looking for agency too. You know, I was there truth. I know like just clinging to some, sense of existence i guess is where i'm coming from with it but uh 
Anyway, I, I, it's not maybe for me. I only have two English degrees. I can't figure this out myself. Uh, that was like a weird humble brag, and I didn't mean it. But I it's two, it's two more than, than we have in this band. <laughs> so, yeah, no, there's a lot. There's a lot going on. I, I do want to get to the recording. Uh, Josh, do you recall if this was recorded in a way that was different from previous records? Like, was it more piecemeal? Was everyone around for the most part? I think it was the first. Uh, it, it's not unusual now because that's how, it's kind of how we've recorded everything since then. But it was the first time where we weren't really doing it as a collective. We were doing it more. We we wrote a lot of the songs um, collectively in our practice space, but then actually recording them, different people were going in at different times um, to record their bits. And like the like hidden world and chemistry was much more like everybody around all the time, band in the studio. This was like drawn out over over many months. Do you know what precipitated that change? I think it was just how you wanted to do it, right, Mike? I think this was the first record we wrote as like, quote unquote, professional musicians. Like I remember writing chemistry sort of like in my apartment and I still had a, like a job and stuff. And then, but I think this record, we had all quit our jobs and I think we were like, okay, we're going to fucking do this. Like, and I just remember what, whatever summer we wrote the record in, just like all five of us at the practice space, like, sort of trying to do like a nine to five situation just being like look how serious we are about this band now it's like our job and we ended up writing like 50 or 60 songs in a couple months and that's what that's where this record came from and that's why huh. i think that was like really what started the era of us being like we're just gonna write like hours of music and endeavor to try to put it all out in some way yeah but yeah and there were life circumstances which meant that not everybody could come to all the same recording sessions, but we definitely, we definitely all were like super gung ho about being really a really pro band while we were picking up the writing. of this one. So the album is David comes to life. There's a song on uh, hidden world called David comes to life. And uh, for those of us who follow uh, fucked up, even in a cursory way, you might realize you start to recognize that there are little patterns and recurring characters. And David, obviously, the long-standing character. You mentioned fifty or sixty songs. This album, I believe, is what eighteen songs, so about a third of that output. Mike, what happened to the rest of those pieces? I know there were singles and a whole bunch of other things. Uh, how many sort of um, well, adjacent records to David Comes to Life are there? If you can remember <laughs> the output of this record was four singles, which are, so that's eight songs as sort of introductions to all the characters and then 18 songs on the record. And then we did another 10 or 12 for the David sound thing, which is like, um, we tried to imagine if there was like, uh, like a crappy little local record label in the town that the record took place in, if they had put out a, a comp of like the 10, like worst or best bands in the town, what that would sound like. But then I think just like probably 30 songs were crap. And then they're just like demos on the hard drive. 30, that 30 songs are bad. Did you just say, I mean, we, yeah, we, we probably like when we were going into the studio almost every day for probably three or four months to write. And we would write a set, a part of the song almost every day. So we ended up with a lot of garbage. Oh, I see. Okay, so there's... To get to the good stuff. So David's town... 
where does this world building impulse come from exactly? Uh, I'm asked Josh for his perspective on it because you've got at least Josh. I forget how many like do you are you are you writing uh, song lyrics for the band at this point uh, often or is it mostly uh, Mike and Damien? It's mostly Mike and Damien, but I you know I I wrote I think I wrote just lyrics for two songs on one of the one of the singles. Right. Yeah, you do do it. But where do you know like where this world building impulse seems to come from? What's your perspective on it? Where, is it Mike? Is it Damien? Who who comes up with this like not only are we going to put out a record, we're going to put out a record where it's like a, a fake record label in a in a fake town. Like where does all that come from, do you think? I think there's just a part of it is just there's a lot of stuff that we want to do that you can't do. Hmm. Like as you're you just ask your own band, like, you know, having fucked up kind of restricts you in some way in terms of like what, what you can put out, I guess, like, you know, it has, it has to sound a certain way. And the songs, like you couldn't put out the David, the David's town comp with like all these different singers that we had and like different styles of music and like a fake jazz song and like a fake, like, I don't even really remember what the songs on that record sound like, like a garage song or something just like, yeah. Those can't really come out as fucked up songs, but there's, you know, just this like desire to, to write music. And then the world building part is like, Mike just likes writing all these characters. That's kind of my take. Is it a God complex that some, is the whole band have a God complex where you have to create all this stuff and then the characters you've created are mad at you from below I think the other thing with David's town, like, was that wasn't like Jonah kind of becomes like the almost the uh, the maestro of like an orchestra, like when it comes to a project like David's town, which I think is like the perfect job for Jonah is like just corral all these different musicians and get them to get them to create an album. David's town was the uh, record was Damien's idea and stuff like that just comes about from us like spending so many years as like record nerds. Right. Like just having experiences like every way a record possibly could come out, you know, big or small, like me and Jamie used to live together and we would go to like every single lease palace show, no, no matter what it was. And all we did was look up rare records and buy records and try to own. I mean, I feel like Damien's thing was literally to try to own every single punk record that had ever been released. Yeah. And so, you know, he had all those those comps that weird little towns made of the he had all that stuff and he was like, let's it wouldn't it be cool? A lot of the fucked up ideas are like some idiot like me just being like, Wouldn't it be cool if blank and then we just don't have any like management or fat or like you know, there's no one to we didn't have like a team or anybody to really be like, No, that isn't cool. And so that stuff would just happen. Like well, uh, if yeah. we were a bigger band and I was like, wouldn't it be cool if we just like did it a rock opera? Somebody would have been like, no, like that would be stupid. And then it or wouldn't like, happen. Or they'd be like, yeah, that's cool. But like, maybe I should f- just focus on like playing some shows. Yeah. Like, what, doing what if you guys put out a really catchy <laughs> record and had a different name? Like, wouldn't that be cool? Well, one of the things maybe you should I practice more. Invest in in a sound guy. What if you guys all went to therapy? I like uh, sometimes when I when I'm watching fucked up. I like uh, watching Josh because something funny will happen. And Josh, I feel like you really enjoy the funny stuff the most. Like just the 
the joy of the silliness of being in fucked up. Is that is that fair? Like, do you like it the best when it's like ridiculous, or do you like it when it's serious and like ah, we're kicking ass, or do you like the preposterousness of it on some level? Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's a good read. I, I do like the preposterous. I also like just as a person, I. I'm like cursed with just noticing everything. Like I just <laughs> like I want to say like catch, your, something it, will catch your eye on stage, and then you'll giggle. You'll be laughing just, as you're. It's not like about. nothing gets by me, but it's just like I can't not notice something that's happening. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there. So there's that. I also just like approach life with like some distance, yeah. and so I just have to kind of. I, I don't know. That's just the way I approach things. Like, like the preposterousness of like everything that the band does, but also like any like bullshit drama that does happen in the band. That's just kind of like my wave, the way I deal with that kind of stuff. Well, Mike was just talking. Josh about- is like the most. He's the most well adjusted in the band. So I feel like he, <laughs> to, you know, well adjusted he, to what? Just to like being a person, living in living life, but. So if something funny happens, he's just allowed to just have like an unencumbered experience with it. Whereas like me and Damien are too stressed about something on stage to like really laugh. And Jonah and Sandy are kind of like paying attention to some other stuff. Well, so Mike was, uh, Josh, Mike was just talking about him and Damien collecting records and going to every show and, you know, Damien being kind of a, a nerd for that stuff. We were looking at the cover of David Comes to Life earlier and Mike very quickly said there's lots of Easter eggs there. Do you like the fact that fucked up keeps people guessing? Like no matter what you do, it seems like it, it creates a little bit of mystery for the people who are uh, receiving it. Do you do you like that about it? Yeah, I, I think that 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 stuff is like I don't know. We just we have a little bit of a sense of humor about what we're doing. Like, and people might look at that and be like, whatever. These guys are the most like egotistical. Like, do the most artsy shit. Like release like year of the horse which is like this just like plotting like hour and a half of of like drama but i don't know i think when we do like this other stuff like it's kind of revealing of like there's this other side too yeah mike do you remember how this record was received at the time and whether or not uh, that reception has kind of evolved uh i mean here we are celebrating the 10th anniversary so people obviously your label among them uh, recognize that there's something special about David Comes to Life. To my knowledge, and I think we talked about this recently, it's the first record by Fucked Up that has like an anniversary edition or an anniversary, a real anniversary celebration, so to speak. But anyway, sorry, Mike. Yeah, do you recall how this record was received when it came out? Yeah, every Fucked Up record is kind of like received in the same way, which is, you know, from magazines and websites, it's usually like enthusiasm that's informed by a very healthy amount of skepticism, even still like after 20 years of putting records out, I, the vibe of our release of our reviews is always like, it seems like begrudgingly we get good reviews a lot of times where it's like, or like, isn't it cute that this like little punk band like accidentally put out a good sounding record? You know what I mean? Like even now it's always, the reviews are just always about, it's like, Oh yeah, they put out ear of the horse. Like, can you imagine how long it is or like, isn't it crazy that they do it? It's never just like, let me just talk about the music and have it. It's always like, and I think that it's just because we have, we somehow are just like still underdogs to most of the world because you know, of our name and our, 
just whole thing. But don't you think, Mike, also there is a segment of the, like, whatever, critics or whatever and fans who get that there's humor and that there's fun? It's not just... Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. And I was... To go back to the previous question, I think, like, that's how we sort of made the band, right? Like, if you have a, if you have the our sound and our singer and our name, we sort of knew early on that we weren't setting ourselves up for a life of, like rich and famousness. So we, we sort of made it our credo to just be like, we will do anything that we think is interesting or fun. Cause we knew that our trade wasn't going to be like making a lot of money. So that's a lot of the, a lot of the weird shit just comes from that. Like, wouldn't it be funny? And I think like, especially back then, like some ridiculous thing would happen to us like every day. Like I remember, I was just remembering Josh, you remember tall Rob who, was like a huge one of the like original fucked up super fans in like 2002 era mm-hmm. who went on to get a job uh writing f- for like high school science textbooks and like put a bunch of fucked up w- references and lyrics into like a high school calculus textbook or something. <laughs> stuff like that would happen to us constantly because yeah at, at that point when we were still sort of this nascent thing people were in on it like people were like oh yeah the, this band is about like doing weird things and would would try to do weird stuff like that about us well you're very funny like i I, you know i mean every uh, people listening may not know this but like obviously we've hung out a bunch uh i've seen fucked up a lot of times we've been in all sorts of places like halifax and i don't know guelph halifax st john's quebec city uh i don't know about that some of the most beautiful cities in the world Sackville, yeah, we've been around. anyway. All over I, the world. I appreciate Guelph, Oshawa, Oshawa. I've always appreciated your your sense of fun and sense of humor. It's one of the reasons I like the band, and I like you as people. You're all strange, but so am I. So uh, I I enjoy it, and it's yeah, no, it's all good. There's a line from a song on David. What's all good? Fucked up. I thought, was, I thought that was developing into a question. No, I was, I was, no, I just mean, I guess, okay, fine, I will elaborate. The fact that some people don't get it or get confused or mired in the content or the story of something like David Comes to Life, which, Josh, we will admit it's a convoluted, it's a somewhat convoluted story, right? It's meant to be a little provocative in terms of messing with temporality. And Are you yeah. saying that you don't get it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to argue that man, I super get it, and everyone else is a square. No, yeah. I, it's a lot. To those, f- <laughs> those morons. <laughs> no, I think there's a lot to to get through here. It's very dense, and uh, like I say, it hits on for me all sorts of different things. But where I was getting to there for a second uh, on the song "One More Night," I think, and I lost it. I was all gonna. Oh yeah. There's a line here, do all words can do, David, I still love you. Do all words can do, uh, Mike, is the name of uh, the new uh, singles collection, right? Is that right? Did I get that right? I feel like I got that wrong. It's called do all words can do. You did it. Yep. Okay. You set it up perfectly, Dish. Okay. I'm I'm under, I'm undercutting myself, but what what is this? I'm about to hit, I'm (laughs) I'm about to take a swing, so set it up. Okay. (laughs) What is the significance of extracting that particular lyric? Uh, from One More Night for this uh, collection of uh, singles. Well, coincidentally, there's a song on the singles collection that is also called Do All Words Can Do. Yeah, I saw that. I noticed that, too. Why, why does that, what does that phrase mean? Where did that come from? 
I think that that was just trying to play with like the form, how, you know, we're writing lyrics. The characters are sort of bound by the rules that we make. The characters can only do what the words tell them to do. And sort of, you know, extrapolating that to what you can do in your own life, which is more than words. Which, by the way, is the name of another song by, I believe, the band Extreme. That's right. Extreme had a song from their record. Uh, more Than Words. I don't remember what the record's called. I feel like the num- there's a Roman numeral two in there. I think the record's called Fucked Up. <laughs> is this a phrase from like some sort of like uh, Eastern philosophy or something? Did you make this up? Do All Words Can Do? Yeah, Do All Words Can Do is my mantra, my, my transcendental meditation mantra when I was uh, doing my Vipassana in Bhutan. As a 19-year-old. I understand. I understood some of that. Uh, no, I just, I thought that Mike was... Has a, it, Mike actually has a do-all-words-can-do tattoo. Do you? Where is it? Yeah, yeah but it's not made of words. It's, it's his, made of, like, his uh, lower ancient back Eastern symbols. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm yeah. sorry to hit that so heavy-handedly, but I, I just thought that was interesting that it popped out, you know, because it's an interesting phrase. It's To me, it's an inherently hopeful phrase, but it's interesting to hear it, uh, hear you describe it as sort of, um, a, it's like a narrative phrase as well. Uh, anyway, maybe you'll get a tattoo of it. I don't. I don't have any tattoos. Do you have any tattoos, Mike? No, jo- Josh doesn't either. Unless you got a new one. Josh, you got a tattoo? Um, no, I don't. Is are, aren't we kind of? Uh, I'm used to being a minority, but aren't we all kind of minorities in that regard these days? Uh, not having any tattoos. Probably not. We're probably the most. We're probably the least tattooed band in um, in punk rock. Damien has some. Damien has a few. Yeah. You think the majority of people on Earth have tattoos and that we're the minority because we don't have tattoos? I think it's getting to that point. Yeah. Everywhere I go, there's tattoos. Everywhere I look. I think that people that have tattoos are in the minority state. All right. Well, we'll leave, the, we'll leave this. You just be a BU. Where do you hang out? <laughs> Edmonton. You only see people with it's tattoos. Just cowboy hats and tattoos everywhere I look. Okay. So uh, I, I feel pretty good. I feel like we covered a lot of ground. Uh, there's an anniversary tour coming in 2022. Two, I want to say it's not happening. Are you playing shows in this uh, before the end of 2021, Mike? No, no. Okay, January. probably not. January, you say, Josh? Yeah. And where, where, where does the road bring you uh, in the new year? We're gonna be in um, uh, Toronto, Montreal. We're gonna be in New York, Boston, DC, Chicago. We go on the west coast of the U.S. All the major players. Going to be going to England. <laughs> I don't know why. Going to Austin, I know Texas. Why, I don't know why all the major players made me laugh so much. But it's yeah, you're doing all the big show. Okay, so where can people you're playing uh, all the places? Band play on band play right. tour. Sounds like you are. That's good. Uh, Mike, where can people go to learn uh, more about uh, the David Comes to Life reissue and fucked up generally these days? Probably mixtape four. I think that was the mixtape that came out right after the fuck right out. We tried used to would release a mixtape at the same time as an album to sort of describe it. So I would say people should hit up mixtape four. Am I on that mixtape? They, they should go to mixtape four. Go to yeah. go to mixtape four dot go to the dot org. Go to the biggest library in your city and demand to see mixtape four from the archives am i on mixtape four i like that i i'm always very flattered sometimes you take these interviews we do Leash. and you put them on the tape do you know this thing called main character derangement syndrome yeah i have it yeah uh, so who's whose record are you on right like what record what record are we 
participating in right now that you're the main character i'm not the main character i just thought i was on i I, all i was getting at is sometimes you take the mic you will finish an interview like that and you'll be like can you send me that I'll be like, what? I haven't even... They do that every time. I haven't... No, it's... We really appreciate you having us on Mixtape 6. (laughs) Yeah. All I was going to say is I appreciate being on the mixtapes. It's fun. Wait, is that a real derangement thing, though, or did I just get that from somebody? I think you made it up. Then why did you say you knew it was? Well, I was just trying to be polite. But I actually... I I think you... It's probably from one of your nerdy superhero podcasts. It feels... It sounds like... It it does sound like something that... Come on. I would have, uh, for sure. Anyway, okay. It's like a f- auto auto fictional disease. So if you want to learn more about fucked up, everyone, go to mixtape four. Uh, if we can go out on a song. Oh wait, before I do that, this was rude. Define we. Well, let's say Josh and I want to go out on a song from David Comes to Life, which is uh, a great record. Josh, if you could pick a song, like if Mike wasn't here and uh, we could just do whatever we wanted, what song would you pick from the album to go out on? Let's do. Um, you don't have to do can, this, Josh. You don't have we, to say anything. Can, can we do a song on? Check uh, your royalties. Can we do a song on? Do all words can do? Oh yeah, of course. So I think you should play uh, Octavio made the bomb. Oh, why did that come to? Why did Spoilers. that come to mind? Just yeah, just get it all out there. This is actually the final song on this collection by my uh, records here. So this is the yeah. final song. Give it a little. Uh, this song is the master key to the whole story. This is the thing, like. So many people bought the album and they're like, oh, it doesn't make any sense. And we're like, well, that's because you didn't buy the seven inch that came out a year later. That only has one song on it. You couldn't get anywhere because we only made a thousand. Co- like, what did you think was going to happen? Are these so these got to read the footnotes. So the singles that came out uh, at the time are now collected on this collection. But are this are the actual singles circulating? Can you get them on Discogs or some? Such so they site? all disappeared. Are they all gone? Did they were they struck by? Was there? A, yeah, they got snapped out of existence. They're like that Banksy thing. They all self destructed. Steamrolled yeah. in a protest or something. I can see that happening. Maybe a protest against fucked up. Yeah, a fucked up. Uh, uh, yeah, that's right. Anti fucked up. This is that fucked up. At the exclaim office. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not touching that. Uh, this is fucked up with Octavio made the bomb from uh, the new collection. Do all words can do? Hey, wait. When is this collection out again? I don't even remember. Do you know? March something or other. Maybe oh my March God. 10th. Really? It's that far yeah. away? So this is a real preview. Josh, this is very kind of you to pick a preview song. That's great. I mean, it's an old People song. People are going to have to wait months to hear a song that came out 11 years ago. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> Mike, Josh, I love you very much. Thank you so much for being uh, back on my show. It seems like you were just on, and I wish you the best of luck with everything in the future. Are you going to acknowledge that this is this is the second time we tried to do this? Nice to see you guys. Thanks again. <laughs> People, it's you got to release the first transcript. You just have to say goodbye. It's just the end of the episode is just when you the say bonus, it. The first playing, time we did this is going to be on mixtape six. It's going to be only instead of playing hour. a song at That's the end of the podcast, just play the whole first podcast. Nice to see you That's guys. Bonus song. Really great chat. Thanks so much uh, for being back on the show. That. I don't know. Bye bye. Bye 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 bye. We don't hang up. The podcast never ends. <laughs> it never ends. <laughs> Yeah, so we met at the ball to start
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, thanks again to uh, Mike and Josh from Fucked Up for appearing on this, the uh, 654th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode that you're looking for, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com. You can also like Creative Control on Facebook or follow the show on Twitter at vishcreative, or you can follow me directly on Twitter and on Instagram at vishkana. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain this otherwise completely free podcast, as you as you may have been able to tell. This episode that you just heard, totally free. But imagine if you could donate some money and then the show just got to keep going uh, and didn't have to worry about, you know, financial constraints. Or, or, or think of it this way, uh, you're compensating someone like me for the work they do otherwise for free now six dollars or more a month grants you access to exclusive content uh which i've just recently adjusted to be not only uh, from our you know based on archive material from my audio archives but also fresh material so bonus content from the from the new interview stuff you won't hear in the interview we do a little seg- separate segment i put it up on the patreon for the patrons that's how it goes so again if you're interested in any of this or by the way if you want to receive a creative control t-shirt that's also uh, from the Patreon. So just message me on Patreon and I'll get you one while supplies last. That address again, patreon.com slash creative control. 
Thanks again to the fine Alberta record retailer Blackbird Music, which you can learn more about and uh, make your special orders there at uh, their website, blackbird.ca. Also want to thank Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, for their in-kind support for this show. As usual, I need to thank my old pal Jim Guthrie for letting me use uh, some music of his on the show. You can learn more about Jim and his intriguing world of music at his website, jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode with uh, Mike and Josh from Fucked Up. Again, this is part two. Part one will probably never be released, but we talked about David Comes to Life on one Friday, thought about it, decided just on a feeling. They didn't even I didn't even listen to it. I haven't put that one together, wondering if it was better than maybe we thought. We just all agreed after it was done. It wasn't quite right. So then we did this. What you're hearing is technically part two, the sequel. That's why in the title it says part two. Will you ever hear part one? Maybe on a fucked up mixtape? Maybe? I don't know. As always, Mike has asked me to send him all of these recordings, so I will. We'll see what becomes of them. Anyway, thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends about it. Spread the word about it. And that is it. Thank you very much. Listen to David Comes to Life as I have been for the last month. Solid. It's wonderful. Bye for now. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.